Yes, if you missed the potluck last year and the Bunko party, it is a hit. Uh, if you don't know what Bunko is, uh, the nicest way to describe it is it's an old lady game that they play with dice that we love to own here at the Salt Company. And so come, it'll be a good time. We doing all right tonight? Uh, if, if we haven't met, my name is Zach. I'm on staff here, director of the Salt Company. And uh, one, of, one of the favorite things about my job that I, uh, I get to do is I, I get invited and I get invited to do a lot of weddings, okay? Lots of weddings in here, partially because I work with a bunch of young people and you guys are falling in love and, and getting married, okay? I, I, uh, Matt Nert and Amanda got married recently. Uh, Zay and McKella got married and, and, uh, and it just keeps going, man. Kojo's planning her wedding, Vincent Brent planning their wedding. I love weddings, I love doing weddings. I love just going to weddings. Uh, it reminds me, it's a very special day. It reminds me a lot about my wedding day. Uh, on my wedding day, uh, July 6, 2018, uh, I got up and uh, I was super nervous. And so the first thing I did that morning was I went for a run because I thought if I could sweat really hard now, I wouldn't sweat later. Like that's how biology works. And so, uh, and then as one does, I, uh, I got Raisin Cane's for lunch. And uh, yeah, we mentioned Cane's here every sermon pretty much since it's opened up. So uh, I got Cane's and then I went to the venue with my boys and for like three hours leading up to the wedding, we played Super Smash Bros uh, on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, I was running to Link uh, every match for some of you Smash Bros in the house tonight. Uh, and so we're playing, I'm getting ready, getting excited uh, to marry my wife. And uh, here's the deal, uh, my wife and I, we didn't, uh, we didn't do one of those first look things like you heathens do, uh, some of you guys. I don't get it, guys, the first look. It ruins the moment. I, the first time I wanted to see my wife in her wedding dress was walking down the aisle with her dad coming to daddy. And, and so we got married and, uh, and uh, so, uh, so <laughs> come back, come back, come back. I'm a dad now, I can say those things. Um, and it, guys, when I, when I wrote that this morning, I felt pretty proud of myself. So that was not off the cuff. Shh. Anyways, anyway, so my wife comes down, it's a great time. We say our vows, Wadlow's doing our wedding and my, my wife's biggest nightmare comes true. Uh, we're doing the repeat after me vows and Austin did too much of the repeat after me and so she butchered the line and totally like, she blew it off, it was crazy. My, my vows are a sham, we're not even married. Um, had a great time, we got married, went out, we had a reception, ate fajitas, uh, we danced as good as white people can dance and then, and then they do the send off, okay? So they send us off and you know, you know like balloons, sparklers. Uh, my favorite part, one of my favorite parts of that, that night is on our way to the hotel, well, we decide to go inside. We stop, we go inside Whataburger to get some food. So we're fully dressed. Somebody recommended we do this. I'm just gonna toss this one to you. Guys, on your way to wherever you're staying that night, just stop somewhere that serves food, walk in. Like brides just totally dressed up. Dudes, they give us free food at Whataburger. It was a great time. So anyways, great night, love my wedding. So guys, here's the deal. Imagine for a moment, imagine my wife and I get married. Okay, we do the vows fajitas, dance like white people. We do the send off. Okay, imagine the send off. And so they get all the balloons or the, you know, the, the bubbles and the sparklers. They send us all this, you know, this little thing. We walk out. Now imagine, and we go there and, and, and we do the send off and there's two cars. And Mally and I get in two different cars. And not only do we get in two different cars, but we go in two different directions and it's a two different hotels, two different beds, two different honeymoons. And then we get back from the honeymoon and we live in two different houses. Now, if we did that, all of you would go, 
what in the world is happening? Why in the world? Why would you get married, go do all those things, but not live like you're married? It would be silly. You'd be asking the question, wait a second. Did they even get married if they don't live like they're married? Well, that's where we are in Ephesians chapter 4. Get a Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. If you're new here, or you've been coming for just a couple weeks, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, and we just wrapped up three chapters of the book of Ephesians, and we've been seeing this incredible picture of what it means to be united to Jesus, that God has done a lot in chapter 1, 2, and 3 to, to tell you about what Jesus has done for you, this incredible gospel truth over and over again, guys, in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. It says you are in Christ. That if you're a Christian, you're in Christ. You're made alive in Christ. You are chosen in Christ, adopted in Christ. And he's been trying to get you to see this reality that if you're a Christian, you enter into a relationship with Jesus. That just like Mally and I's vows made us one, if you're a believer, your faith in Christ has made you one with Jesus. And so that's what he's been saying for the first three chapters. But now in chapter four, Paul here, he's going to shift the entire book. Okay, he's going to move. He's going to make the case that now that you're united to Jesus, that he's done all these things, go live it out. Go do the things. He's going to move from doctrine to duty, or in other words, position to behavior. Like your position is in Christ, now go behave like one. Or in other words, go do what, it, what, what Christians do. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It's pretty straightforward. He says, I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Okay, he says, therefore, okay, because of all this gospel goodness that we've been talking about for weeks in chapter one, two, and three, that Jesus has chosen you, that you're adopted, that he's made you alive in Christ, that he satisfies your heart. Because of all these things, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He says, walk worthy. That's the title of the sermon tonight and really the theme of the rest of the book. You're called to walk worthy. That word walk, it just means to live. He says, live the life that God has called you to live. That word calling just means the Christian life, that you've been united to Jesus. He says, live it out. Now that you've been united to Christ, go walk worthy. Do the thing. Be a Christian. Be everything that Jesus wants you to do and empowers you to do. This is what the rest of the book of Ephesians is about. So tonight... We're trying to answer the question, what does it look like to live it out? What does it mean to walk worthy of our calling? How can we be united to Jesus and also walk with him? Because I don't want to be, and I don't want you to be, the Christian who claims to be saved, who claims to be united to Jesus, but live two different lives, two different zip codes, two different countries than Jesus. How can we be Christians who actually walk worthy of the talk that we talk. That's what we're looking at tonight. Let me show you a few things in the text. So, okay, Paul begins here with this big pump up. Okay, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling. Guys, that's a pretty big thing. It feels like a battle cry, okay? Like, we're about to go to battle. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Go walk worthy, okay? This is big pump up speech from Paul, and it, and it feels like the next thing he should say is like, go conquer the world for Jesus, Okay, go evangelize, go cast out demons, man. Fight the bad guys. Let's take the kingdom for Jesus. It feels like that's what happens next. But notice what he says in verse two. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity 
of the spirit and the bond of peace. Okay, notice what he just said there. He gives this great encouragement. Okay, walk worthy. And this is what it means to walk worthy. And then he says this, put up with each other. He says, you got Christians, put up with one another. It says bear with one another. Literally that translates tolerate one another in love. Okay, the first thing that Paul says to walk worthy is this, fight for unity. He wants us, the first encouragement, guys, he wants you, if you're a Christian, you should fight for unity, to bear with one another, okay, to love one another, to be united, okay? We've already seen this idea in Ephesians that Jesus has united us, that he, he preached peace to those who are far and peace to those who are near. He's brought us close, Jew, Gentile. He's brought us united. And Paul says here, we're called to be united into community. It's obvious to Paul that the Christian life that Christianity is done in community, in context with other people, but not just community, a specific type of community. Look at what it says. A humble one, a gentle one, and a patient one. That's the kind of community Paul calls us to be. Think about those three things, okay? Humility, gentleness, patience. Each one of those, man, it, it can only be done in context with other people, relationships with other people. This is how you have a unity, a unified group is gentleness, humility. And the opposite of those things destroys unity. Okay, the thing about the opposite of those three words, the opposite of humility is what? Pride. You got any Lakers fans? Any Lakers fans in the house? Listen, nothing destroys a basketball team faster than a selfish player. Okay, Russell Westbrook is tanking those guys, man. Nothing destroys a team like a selfish player. What's the opposite of gentleness? It's harshness. Listen, nothing destroys a family like a harsh dad to his kids. What's the opposite of patient, impatient, short-tempered? Nothing destroys a friendship like a short temper, like someone who writes you off, who's impatient. The first thing Paul calls us to here is to be united in love. But notice what Paul says. He doesn't just say, hey, do the unity thing like half-hearted, like pursue it passively. No, no, what does it say? Look at verse three. It says, be eager to maintain it. It says, be eager, okay, be excited. Okay, you can tell when someone's eager about something. Okay, I was talking to a guy last week and uh, man, you could just tell my man, so he was about to take a girl on a date for the first time and he was eager for it. Okay, it's all he talked about, he's excited. He's enthusiastic about it. Some of us in the room are eager, excited about the MSU basketball season beginning, okay? I'm getting excited, undefeated, guys. We're going all the way, March Madness. When's the first game? Is it next Friday? Monday. Monday, oh, we're eager. Phil is eager for the basketball team. You can tell, you can tell when someone's eager based on what they talk about. They're excited about it. And what Paul is saying here is that as Christians, we should not be apathetic towards unity, but eager for it. We should fight for it. We should pursue it. But notice, notice what he says. Look, keep reading. It says eager to do what? Eager to maintain unity. What does that mean? What does it mean to maintain it? It doesn't say be eager to attain it, to go get it. It says to maintain it. Or in other words, for the Christian, unity, it's not something you get. It's something we already got. Unity. This idea, it's not something that you go out and get with other believers, it's already true. It's an objective truth underneath. Every Christian has been bonded. It's something that God has already done in us. Okay, you read it, look at Ephesians three. It says the spirit of God has bonded us together. That there's a spiritual cord that binds Christians together. But then read verse four, man, this gets good. Look at what verse four, 
This is just a truth. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Over and over again, Paul points us to the reality of unity of believers, the oneness of believers, that in Jesus, we're part of one body. Man, we got one spirit. All of us, if you're a Christian, we got one hope, man, the hope of heaven. Okay, we're saved by the same one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God that we worship, and that unites us. It doesn't matter where you're from. Okay, whether you come from money or the streets, whether you speak this language or that language, whatever your background, if you're in Christ, we're united. Okay, you have more unity with a Christian in, in, in Saudi Arabia than your cousin who doesn't give a rip about Jesus. I can remember I was in Malaysia on a mission trip, kind of like what we're trying to send people on this summer. And so I'm in Malaysia and, and we're doing this mission thing and we're at church and it's an English speaking church and, and, and it's a Malaysian church. So they're all singing these songs and I don't know any of the songs. And so we're kind of just like nodding back and forth and they're singing. And then they turn to me and my team and they say, hey, so we want to do a song we looked up a song. We want, we want to do a song so you can sing with us. I'm like, sweet, man. I wonder what song it's going to be. I'm, I'm excited. Like Amazing Grace, maybe like In Christ Alone, Age to Age, maybe. I don't know. It's going to be a good time. Uh, and so they start singing the classic, the Chris Tomlin classic, Good, Good Father. Okay. And, and uh, if you don't know this song, long story short, it's like a Christian song that at this point in, in the world, like was overplayed. It's very repetitive and people are getting tired of singing it. But let me tell you something. There's never been a more powerful moment, perhaps, in my life than singing that song to the good father I know in a room with people from the other side of the planet, singing to the same father. Like, bro, I'd, I'd repeat that chorus every day to stay in that moment. And if you want to know the depth of the unity that we have in Christ, you got to get around people who aren't from here, who don't look like you, because you'll experience, man, you'll, you'll experience a new depth of unity. This is what Paul is saying that we're a united bunch, that we're together despite our differences. And the point Paul says here is maintain it. Fight for what you already got. And so take a step back here, okay? Paul says, be united. Why is this important to us today? Well, it's, well uh, there's a few reasons. One's very obvious. Uh, we live in a world that's very not united, okay? Very hostile world. We should fight for unity because it's difficult because we live in a world that is not united, okay? Just, man, I don't have to explain this to you guys. Okay, with uh, politics, election stuff, COVID, all of this stuff, we live in a very hostile world. And because of that, man, it's the air we breathe. Okay, you're being discipled to be divided. We're entertained by conflict. And because of that, man, it's hard to stay sane and stay united as Christians in this world. It's the pond we're swimming in. And so we got to fight for it. And if we do, man, if this group and if Christians would be so loving, so gentle. We don't live in an Ephesians 4.2 world, but the opposite, one that's not humble, not gentle, not kind, not patient. But if we are, oh, dude, we'll stand out like stars in a dark sky. This is what it means to be salt and light, to be stark contrast to the world we live in. And so we should fight for unity because it's hard, but, but not just because of what's out there, but because of what's in here, our sin. It's hard to fight for unity because we're still sinners, man. We're still broken. Conflict happens among Christians. Disagreement. People say something they shouldn't have said. They annoy you. Your roommates annoy you. If, if your roommates annoy you, blink twice. Yeah, I see you over there, Brent. Uh, because of our sin, it's hard. 
Even though we can go, hey man, we got one God, one Father, one hope, one Lord, that's easy to say, but we, we don't feel it at times. So we gotta fight for it, man. Conflict is an opportunity for unity. It's an opportunity to grow together. As a group of people, man, we don't run from conflict, we lean into it. We fight for unity. And if we'll do that, man, it'll be a community that displays the love of Jesus. And so we don't wanna just be united in here, but also we wanna fight for unity out there with other Christians and other churches, any slanting in the world that maybe they don't belong to our church, but they do belong to the capital C church. Okay, one of the last things Jesus prayed in John 17 was, Father, let my people be one just as you and I are one. This is the heart of God that we would be united. And so the first thing that Paul says here, hey, walk worthy. He says, hey, fight for unity. But look at what he says. Keep going. The text keeps going. Paul starts with this great call to unity. But then he basically makes the argument that even though we're called together, uh, we're, we're not the same. Look at what it says in verse seven. It says, but, or in spite of the unity, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Or in other words, Paul, he's about to say something here, that even though we're one, we're not the same. That grace has been given to each one of us according to his measure in different ways, okay? I've heard it said that Jesus, he calls us to unity, but not uniformity. That we're called together, but we're, we're different here. Paul, he's about to move from the unity of believers to the uniqueness of believers. And, and he's gonna begin describing this reality that God has wired us different, but also he's gifted us different. Okay, if you keep reading, he's gonna use an Old Testament passage. Okay, Psalm 68, this great like victory song to describe basically Jesus going to the bad guys, plundering him, and then bringing home gifts to give out spoils. Look at verse eight. It says, therefore, it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But also that he descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended, it's the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Okay, a lot can be said here, but the picture Jesus is dishing, uh, the picture here is that Jesus is dishing out gifts, bless you, to every person. Or in other words, okay, he's talking about the idea of spiritual gifts here. Okay, that as believers, God has given each one of us uh, a gift, a spiritual gift to be used to build up the body of Christ. Now, I, I think there's a lot of confusion around spiritual gifts in the Bible. Okay, we don't, we don't know what they are or we don't know what ours is and we get freaked out. Like, is it like some sort of like spiritual superpower that I have? Like, surely I don't have one of those. Like, what does it mean? But, but here's, guys, here's what the Bible says. It's not complicated. The Bible is clear. If you're a believer, you have a spiritual gift or gifts that the spirit of God inside of you has uniquely gifted you with something to build up the body of Christ. And, and there's a few lists in the Bible. Okay, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, list of gifts. You can go read them. I don't, I don't think it's exhaustive. I don't, or in other words, I think there's other ones not listed there. But if you're a believer, the spirit of God has given you a gift, every single one of us, something that basically he supernaturally blesses. Like when you do something, when you use that gift, he supernaturally blesses that with joy or fruit or to build up the body of Christ, okay? And if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, my advice would be this. We'll go read through those lists 
And you better pray and ask God for wisdom and ask your friends for affirmation on what they can see in you and then go try to serve in your local church. Test it out. The point is this, you've all got a spiritual gift and you're supposed to use it to build the body of Christ. But now here's what he's going to do. Here's what Paul's gonna do. He's not just gonna describe gifts that he gives to believers, but now he's gonna move on and say Jesus has also given gifted people as a gift to the church. Look at verse 11, it's interesting. It says, and he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay, Paul here, he's gonna mention different types of church leaders here that Jesus basically gave to the church to build the church on it. And, and he's gonna list four different people here. It's kind of confusing with five. I'll, I'll blitz through them. First, it says the apostles. Okay, what are the apostles? Long story short, the apostles were first century people who saw the Lord Jesus Christ who received the word of God and most of them wrote the New Testament. So the apostles are people, man, who saw Jesus and they wrote the New Testament. And then second, it says the prophets. Who are the prophets? The prophets are the people who spoke on behalf of God's people to God or from God to God's people. They spoke for God to the people of God. And those two, those first two, man, apostles and prophets, they're unique. Okay, they are foundational leaders. Okay, we actually have seen these two in Ephesians already. Ephesians 2, verse 20. It says the church is, the, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus being the cornerstone. That basically the apostles received the word of God, they wrote the word of God, and the prophets spoke it. And then he's gonna move on to evangelists. What are evangelists? Well, these are people given to the church to go out and spread the good news of Jesus. They would be like our modern day missionaries. People who would go out and preach the gospel in places it wasn't known. And then he's gonna move to this final one, one leader, but he uses two words to describe it. And it, we can't see it in the English, but you'll notice the, the, uh, the letter, the word the, gosh, that was hard. Uh, <coughs> The word the is not before teachers, why? In the Greek, Paul's just saying it's one person. It's shepherds, teachers. These are pastors, okay? God has given the local church pastors to shepherd and to teach. And so he's describing these four leaders that God gave to the church as gifts to build the church on, to share the gospel. But notice what he does next. Who does the work of the ministry? Look at verse 11 again. And he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. It says to equip who? Well, the saints. Or in other words, us, believers. Okay, it says they, they're called to equip the saints, or in other words, you for the work of ministry. That the work of ministry is not reserved for church leaders, but it's for the church. Or in other words, you, the second point that Paul's encouraging you is to do the ministry. You should fight for unity and now it's time to do the ministry. Or in other words, get in the game. Okay, use your gifts, serve the church. Okay, to minister, it just means to serve. Like whatever your spiritual gift is, use it to serve the church, to build up the body of Christ. It's not just for church leaders, but for, but for everyone. I can give so many shout outs in, in this room to people who have used their gifts to serve the church. Okay, we got an incredible tech team like 
Uh, Carly was saying, people in the back, okay, Nathan and Torno and Sam and Alex, okay, people using their gifts to serve the church, okay, we have an evangelism team that goes out every week to share the gospel, they're trying to use their gifts to build the church up, okay, this is a student-led ministry, not a staff-led ministry, even just this past week, okay, there's so many of you who went out uh, under the leadership gift and maybe the mercy gift of Molly, uh, passed out 300 gift bags or care bags in Lansing. It was a great thing. Yes, shout out. Yes, guys, there's so many connection group leaders who have the gift of teaching or the gift of leadership. My point is this, get in the game. Use the gifts. Soul Company is not a staff-led ministry. It's student-led. It exists for you to do the work of ministry. Ministry is not something that just Zach and Drake do. No, no, no. It's you guys. You're called to do the ministry. Get in the game. Use your gifts. If you don't, you're robbing the church. We could be better. My faith could be higher if you would use your gifts. That's what it says, for the building up the body of Christ. And to not use the gift uh, in the way it's designed is to rob the church. If someone gave me a gift for Elliot, my baby girl, like building blocks to be used with my baby girl, and I got that gift and I just used it for myself, I'm just building blocks over here. Like that's, that's cool, but I'm not using the gift the way it was designed to be used. It's the same with spiritual gifts. These gifts that were given to you is designed for the building up of the church. Do the ministry. Now, keep going here. This is how Paul finishes the section. He basically wraps it up by giving us a picture of what happens if you do it. Like if we're a united bunch, if we fight for unity and, and we use the diverse gifts that God has given us, like what's the byproduct? What's the result? Look at what it says. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So notice the result, that if we're united and we use the gifts of God, all of us will be built up, or in other words, we'll grow into mature people. Look at what it says, to mature manhood, the measure of the stature of Christ, or in other words, Unity and diversity always leads to maturity in Christ. That if we're united and we're using the diverse gifts and personalities that God has wired us, it will always lead to maturity. We're trying to grow in maturity. You will always grow. God, I'm telling you, the most I've grown in my faith in college was when I was so connected to a church, to a college ministry like this. And I was using my gifts, man. I was sharing the gospel. I was confessing sin. I was living in this. I was united. I was bearing with one another in love. That's what produces maturity in our faith by being connected to one another and by serving one another. And Paul here, he says, hey man, we wanna be mature. We wanna grow. We don't wanna be like little children who get tossed by the waves. As believers, we wanna grow into maturity. We don't wanna be stagnant. We always want to be growing. 
So being a dad's pretty awesome. And uh, one of my favorite things uh, to do is kind of like to track her development as it goes. For example, like week eight, so she's eight weeks old a few weeks ago, she starts smiling, okay? And, and that's a pretty big deal, guys. And, and basically since then, all Mally and I do all day is try to make my baby smile until two days ago. She starts laughing for the first time. And guys, I'm gonna be the dad that shows in a, a video, 14 seconds of my, my baby girl laughing. So, I mean, to show them my precious baby girl laughing. Can you laugh? <laughs> I'm like jumping up and down. <laughs> Go on, jump. We've watched this video so many times. It just keeps going. It's, it's 40 seconds long, that's 14 seconds. Um, Man, it's crazy, dude. Like, it, it's pretty crazy. She goes from smiling one moment to laughing to the next. And it's fun to watch her grow, you know? Like, she, she's moving along. She's 11 weeks now. Okay, she, she's gonna go from breastfeeding to eating real food. She's gonna grow from rolling over, which is what she's doing now, to crawling, uh, to walking. And then one day, she's gonna bring a boy home. And I'm just praying that it's not one of your sons. Uh, <laughs> especially yours, Brent. Uh, <laughs> But my point is this, my point is this, it's pretty fun to watch her grow up. She's still a baby. She's doing baby things, okay? She's still crying a lot. Uh, she's sleeping through the night, but she is, uh, you know, keeping her mom up, uh, not so much me. She's still feeding on mama, okay? She's drinking breast milk, but here's the reality. Hey, if she was 18 though, and she was still drinking on mama, it'd be weird. Like, if she was still on the boob, dude, that's weird. 18 year old, like if you guys saw that, you'd go, uh-uh, no. <laughs> No, no, <laughs> not here, man. It'd be weird. It'd be strange. Shh. The reason I say all that is this. It'd be strange because she's, you'd be, you'd be like, man, she's an adult acting like a baby. And I share all that to say this. Spiritually speaking, there are some people in this room who are just like that. That maybe you've been saved for like 10 years. You're like, bro, I've been a Christian my whole life. Okay, I got saved when I was four, eight. I got saved in middle school at church camp, but you ain't grown an inch in your faith. You have not grown in your love for Jesus. You have not grown in your knowledge of the Bible. You have not grown in your community. You have not grown to be mature. You're just like that 18-year-old drinking milk. It's prolonged spiritual infancy. I was meeting with a guy last week. He got saved in middle school. I'm like, dude, praise God. Like, what's God been doing in your life since then? And he didn't have an answer. He had no answer. I think a lot of people are like that. It's not the first time I've met with someone like that. They've been walking with Jesus. They've been married to Jesus for a long time, but they're living in two different lives. They're not walking. They're not growing. And the question you gotta be asking, man, if that's you, is, is the point that I see in reality and I see in the scriptures in this text is living things always grow. And, and this will, man, this is life. Living things grow. And so if you're not growing in your faith, man, if it's been 10 years and you're like, yeah, dude, I haven't, I haven't grown in my love for Jesus. I'm, I'm cold towards God and hot affections for the things of the world. If that's you, you ought to at least be asking the question, was I ever saved to begin with? Because living things grow. And and bro, I'm not saying you're saved and you maintain your salvation by doing good works and by growing in maturity, but it's at least an evidence that you got saved. It's at least like, hey man, I am growing in maturity. And I get it, man. Maybe there's seasons in life that you feel like you're regressing or, or you're not growing, but man, five years, 10 years, you at least gotta be asking the question. Because Paul here, man, he says, we don't wanna be kids. We wanna grow up. We wanna grow into maturity. 
And if that's you, man, if you're like, Zach, how, how do I grow? I haven't been growing in my faith. I, I wanna be mature, but, but what do I do? Well, there's good news for you. This text here is obvious. Maturity comes through community. That maturity comes through community. A large reason the guy I was meeting with last week at, at Blue Owl, the reason why he hasn't been maturing is because he hadn't been going to church. He's not connected to a body of believers that can call him out and, and encourage him. And the reality is this, man, you'll never grow in maturity if you don't have good godly community. We've got to be connected to the body of Christ. You've got to be connected to each other. This is how Paul ends our section here. Notice what it says, the emphasis on the body, verse 15. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, there it is, the body of Christ, that we're all part of the body of Christ, growing together, working together in unity. And if you do that, look at how it ends, man, verse 16. It makes the body grow up. This is a beautiful picture that when we're all working together, when you're connected to community and we're all united, uh, just like the worship band uh, that's about to come back up here, playing different instruments, but on the same team, the same page, something beautiful happens. It's beautiful when Christians, brothers, live in harmony and they're growing and we're serving. This is what we want Saul Company to be about. I love this passage from Paul because man, if, if we're united and we're sharing our gifts and we're encouraging one another, I promise you, this will be a mature bunch. Like we talk a lot about how this salt company is the best salt company in the network. I'd love for that to be true, but not because we're the hypest, although that is true. Those are mature people at Michigan State. God loves the Spartans. And the reason we pursue all these things, I'll close with this. Man, the reason why we do all these things, you know, we fight for unity, we do the ministry, grow up. The reason we do it is because of Jesus. Because like Charles Spurgeon said, I have a great need for Christ and a great Christ for my need. That I have a need for Jesus, a savior, but I got an even greater savior for my need. Man, we believe that. And so we pursue unity, not for the end of just unity. We don't use our gifts just to use our gifts. And we don't grow in maturity just to say we're mature. No, we push through those things so we can get him so we can get Jesus. My hope is that this group would delight in the Lord over all things. That's what's gonna motivate unity. That's gonna bring you together with your roommate. That's gonna cause you to wanna use your gifts. That's gonna cause you to wanna grow in the scriptures. Not so you can be puffed up, but so you can just know him, to know Jesus. That's what we're about here at Salt Company. And, and then we can sing like the saints of old, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world Give me Jesus. Let me pray for us and we'll sing.